Internet brand strategist Sandra Beck interviews top business coaches, speakers, authors, and thought leaders to bring you the best business tips, tricks, and techniques to give your idea the best possible chance for success. From writing your first novel to telecommuting from home to taking your small business to infinity and beyond. Now here's your host, Sandra Beck. Hey everybody, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here today with Dr. Mark Borg. Now he wrote he wrote a bunch of books, but he's got a current book, brand new, hot off the press, out called <laughs> Don't Be a Dick, Change Yourself and Change Your World. Now I have to tell you, the picture of the book has a guy with a bomb on his head. And that is just so perfect because that's it. It's like people who are a dick blow up relationships, they blow up experiences, and it's just such a perfect, um, it's a perfect cover, it's a perfect title. How did you come up with the title? Uh, okay, well, you know, because <clears throat> I've been here before, happily, yep. that I have uh, two colleagues that I, that I write with, uh, Dr. Grant Brenner and Danny Barry, and we've been working on this project called Irrelationship for actually this Thanksgiving, it'll be nine years. Wow. Right. So we got two books out so far and we sometimes compare our partnership, our working relationship uh, to a marriage. So we've had ups and we've had downs and we've had, you know, twists and turns and we've had moments where we thought we were going to implode and explode. And so one afternoon we were at a, having a meeting at a restaurant, a diner in the East village, New York city that we, frequent uh called neptune and uh and, and there was a major major disagreement happening between grant and danny and uh, i was siding with one of them very strongly and like somebody from one of my previous books decided to do some caretaking of one of them but did it in a very colorful way where i started telling this person to shut up but i started telling him to shut up and you know, really kind of vicious, cruel language, which was increasing. And before you know it, not only were the two of them quieted, but the whole restaurant was sort of stunned that this person had stood up from his chair and I was so upset. And I, and I, and I looked around the, the restaurant, these guys were completely quiet. And it just so happened, of course, that some neighbors, a family from my neighborhood was just a couple of tables over and had seen me acting like a, like a dick. <laughs> I mean, there's no other word for it. I mean, some people have asked me to soft pedal it. You know, oh, is it a jerk? Oh, is it a, whatever, you know, a not nice person? No, I was a dick. <laughs> I had lost my cool. I had told my college to shut the <clears throat> up. And, and right there, it was like I had hit this bottom. I'd hit this place. I had not used what I think is the most essential tool in any functional human relationship, which is pause. And I decided <laughs> right there and then, I was going to start this project. I was going to take this pause button. First of all, I was going to amend my behavior. I was going to take that rupture and I was going to work on repair. And the result was actually over the course of a whole summer, um, I sat down on my Blackberry, because that's where I do all my writing on this tiny little machine, and I cranked out this book. I mean, it was really this incredibly difficult lesson that I learned with people that I really care about. Um, and, and the net result was, you know, my sort of, meditation on you know not just not being a dick but actually trying to be kind and generous and loving to the people the people in my life 
Well, and I think, you know, you, you mentioned a couple of things that I thought were particularly interesting. You guys are a thruple, right? <laughs> the three of you, you're like a thruple. <laughs> yep, yeah. But, you know, thruples are really hard even in nature. Like I have a ranch, I have animals. So when I have even number of dogs, we have less fights than with mm -hmm. odd number of dogs because you've got <laughs> siding things. Two yeah. kids are easier than three kids. Four kids are easier than three kids because there's that swing boat and somebody's yeah. taking sides. And, <laughs> yep, yep. you know, so it's like a perfect little like Petri dish yep. to study relationships. And, yep. you know, Mark, you're human. You know, everybody has a right to have a bad day now and then. But I find that some people, especially the recurrent ones, mm. they don't even realize they're being a dick. You know, like I see it with the parents. Like I have a friend um, uh, who has this great quote and she says, you know, your kids don't have to love you, but they don't have to hate you either. Uh, like there's a fine line in between there, you know, cause you got a parent, you got a discipline. And I look at some of these parents, I'm like, God, you're such a dick. Like yeah. you do this all the time, you know? And I think sometimes our culture is teaching us that that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, you look at some of the cultural teaching today and, you know, I see it in these book proposals, which is very funny, you know, or people who want to be on my radio shows. They don't say, dear Sandra Beck, I listened to your show. I liked when you talked about this. I disagree or I respectfully disagree. I'd like you to give me a chance to give my opinion. Mm -hmm. That person I'd listen to. Yeah, right, right. But the person who writes me and says, you don't know what you're talking about. You're an idiot. You mm -hmm. missed the point. You should have me on. I'm like, eh. Yeah. Or even worse, I'm great. I'm the greatest thought leader in financial wizardry <laughs> ever. <laughs> and there we go. Like, there you go. Don't be a dick. Like, yep. you want to be on yep. my show, talk to me. At least know what my show's about, maybe, before yep. inquiring. Yep. Well, you're making, you're making like one of the most essential, you know, really important bullet point points that I make in the book, which is I find that a lot of people who are dicks, especially habitually, like you're describing, it seems, are the people who really mistake what are counterattacks for unprovoked attacks. So by the time you're saying to this person, thanks, but no thanks, they think they're being attacked. But I'm telling that person, you are not being attacked. You're being counterattacked. I was attacked. You didn't recognize it because you were so full of yourself. You were so full of this puffed up, uh, you know, sense of yourself. We call it narcissism or whatever you want to. Grandiosity, capacity, yeah, all those kinds of things. But interestingly, I am, I mean, really, I do believe that the dick counter it, it invites these counterattacks. I do believe, but I also really believe since I start from the premise that I am a recovering dick, you know, <laughs> that like, I really, it's a very hopeful book. It's like, look, it's like, you may think that you're buying this book for someone else. If you think you're buying this book for someone else, maybe you should read it yourself. You know, that I find that a lot of time our tendencies to see this behavior in other people make it hard for us to see that I'm not asking people to attack themselves. I'm not asking people to take a you know, a look in the mirror that any one of us wouldn't want to take so that we know how to fix the problem.
Dr. Mark, I just want to pause in our discussion for a minute because I want to thank our sponsor today, Mark. We have LinkedIn Talent Solutions as our sponsor. And, you know, hiring the right person takes time. And it's time that we don't often have. But you can't let that time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. And that's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. They've got all sorts of different systems in place and really cool features, you know, where you can track things, you can review things, you know, it just does a lot of these things for you. And it LinkedIn job screens candidates with the hard and soft skills that you're looking for so you can get to that right person fast. Those are things like collaboration and creativity and adaptability. And they look beyond the work skills and connect you with candidates who match your business perfectly. That's how LinkedIn can make your job post get in front of the people that you want to hire. People with the skills and qualifications and other insights that help LinkedIn paint a better picture of potential candidates. It's no wonder great candidates are hired every eight seconds on LinkedIn. So to find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs, you can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash coachtalkradio. Again, that's linkedin.com slash coachtalkradio to get $50 off your first job post. And of course, terms and conditions apply. But if you want to find that right person meant for your business, visit linkedin.com dot com slash coach talk radio again that's linkedin dot com slash coach talk radio you know dr borg when i think of the the things that people do and then they get a reaction and then they they walk around all wounded going like what did he do to me how did he do this you know i see this with bullies they they instigate you know there's a great that that great um that great penalty in hockey instigating you know you're drawing in a fight and i think that's what we're talking about today well, really actually, I think it's really important because I see this developing in my son's high school sports. My mm-hmm. son is a high school volleyball player and basketball player. He's six foot five. He's 16. Big, big monster <laughs> kid. And so, but what happens, Dr. Mark, which is really interesting is there is kind of like this pervasive hey, this is how basketball players are. Because, you know, basketball players are cool and volleyball players are nerds, at least out here. Uh, you know, it's not the high, big shot. And, the you know, the toughest sport is the football players. But so I watch my sons, you know, play these sports. And then I have one son who's a dancer, so go figure. Right, you know, right. we, we get in there. But what I find is there's this kind of cultural perception that if you're a basketball player, you kind of act this way. If you're a football player, you act this way. This because you're a football player. You're a basketball player. Right. And what happened was my son, who's kind of like a big Clark Kent, <laughs> he goes into this basketball team where they're all all that. I'm cool. I'm tough. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm, you know, the cat's meow. And he comes home to me and he says, Mom, I don't know what's wrong. He's like, everybody's fighting with me. And I said, really? Because when you were on the volleyball team, you weren't fighting with everybody. Now you're on the basketball team. And we had this big discussion on what changed. And when you talk about that don't be a dick behavior, when he was playing volleyball and he hung with the volleyball kids and everybody was more quiet and polite, and then he went and hung with the big shots, his behavior changed because he wanted to be like the other guys. But when you talk about reactions, because I said, well, what reactions are you getting from people? What are you doing? What are you saying? And he started standing over people, crossing his arms and leaning over him to show how tall he is to the Uh, short guy. And he's like, you know, some kid punched him. 
Uh, and he was dumbfounded. You know, Dr. Mark, he really had no idea what he did. Yeah. And he adopted this behavior set of patterns that he thought was cool and was what you're supposed to do. And the reactions he was getting back, and that's what you're talking about, is those yeah. reactions coming yeah. back. Yeah. He didn't in, ever intend to go and get in all these people's faces. But you know, Max, every time you're six foot five, you cross your arms, you, you lean over a short guy. Yeah. yeah. You're going to get a reaction. That's right. That's right. I, I love what you're saying because the unintentional, I, and I, I, it's so compassionate, right? I'm trying to do that too. I'm trying to be compassionate. I'm really, I mean, it doesn't sound like it in the, the floating head and everything, but I'm actually trying to present an invitation for people to take that look. Like you're what a compassionate, loving mirror image you're giving to your son to say, look, Max, this isn't like some horrible, terrible personality disorder or character trait. This is a misunderstanding. And if you right. grab hold of it right now, then you can, again, change yourself, change your world. You yep. just offered Max an opportunity to change his perception of how he might be affecting other people so that he can change his world. If he has a different approach, a non-cool, just like eye-to-eye -eye kind of approach to these people, he's not going to get punched. Right. right. Well, and I told him like when he was arguing with one of the teachers, who's kind of a short little guy, mm -hmm. I'm like, when you need to go talk to him, sit down first. Uh-huh. Because yeah. he said he was, I said, what were you doing? He's like, he had his hands on the guy's desk. There's <laughs> a testosterone fueled 215 pound solid muscle beast talking yeah. to a 60 something English teacher. Yeah, right. That's like right. right there, you could just That's go right. like, that's like the stuff That's of right. cartoons. Yes, but you're and you're offering every single thing that my book is is giving to people as well. It's like here is a mirror, and it's a mirror that if you look in it, it reflects back a truth, not a vicious truth, not a horrible truth. In fact, there's plenty of places in the book where I say, look, start with this bad word. Start with the word dick. Right. Let people take a look at yourself and let's try to lighten that word. Let's try to come up with a nicer, softer, gentler word. Maybe by the middle of the book, you're a jerk. Maybe by the end. You're just human, like you said. You're just a human being who gets into these circumstances and occasionally you feel threatened and maybe you puff yourself up and you don't even realize that you're doing it. The next thing you know, boom, you get that counterattack, like your son getting punched. It's a brilliant, wonderful example. Yeah, well, and I got a good flip side for you because, you know, I read your stuff and I think about this stuff before we do our shows because, you know, we want people to really embrace it and understand it. And I think there's a counter book to be written called Don't Be a Bitch uh -huh. because I see it in the, like, I, I do a lot of PTO work, PTSO work, volunteer work at the schools. You know, our schools depend on, on support. They depend yeah. on manpower and, and woman power. And I will tell you, there is always one woman who comes into these meetings and leaves offended, leaves mad. And I guarantee you, she is the one that shows up with the lipstick, the earrings, the hair, the jewelry, the whole thing. And she sits there with a bunch of these other kind of real moms who, not that she should be sloppy and awful, but, you know, we're not there to prove something. And the minute she sits down, if she would just look around the table and see most women are in, a, you know, like a t-shirt or a sweatshirt or a blouse, nobody's there dressed to the nines with their Gucci bag slammed right on the table. Yeah. That sets the tone right there. I'm better than you. Right. And if nobody listens to her, she's the first one to skewer her. Well, yeah. we're at a table of 10 people all seated. At that point, shouldn't we all be equal enough to have an opinion, have a thought? But she has just created this whole environment 
where she is better, she is stronger, everyone should listen to her, and she's the first one to get up and leave and be pissed because nobody's giving her the respect she wants. That's right. That's right. Because again, when you are that person, whatever you call it, you can call it a dick, a bitch, a jerk, or whatever. There's lots of words, an asshole. There's so many words we use, but every single one of them is, is basically saying the same thing. They're basically saying, punch me. And they're also saying, join me. See, that's the thing. I think when you're that person, whatever male, female, I mean, I use the word dick because I, you know, um, like orange is the new black and this woman, right, sure. Doherty, and the, you know, dick is actually being thrown around now. It's been sort of appropriated, which is fine. Um, but it's, it's, I use it as the word I use, but um, <laughs> California surfer culture is where I come from. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're really saying is that every single dick is a walking invitation to another person to join them in that dickery. Every right. single person is join me, join me. And I'm really saying that in the book, again, everything we need to do about every lesson leads back to do everything you can to not join that person because the formula is this if one dick is walking through the planet and we are that dick is begging for confrontation the second the confrontation happens there's two dicks yep it's almost as if a dick doesn't exist in isolation because they're so often inviting yes it has to you know, that's because right for it to function yeah. it has to have the conducive environment about it Exactly. Exactly. So not taking, you know, my, my, my older daughter is 12 and she came home with a haircut. You know, she shaved half of her head and she shaved one of her eyebrows. And her mother is this Japanese woman who's like, what are the school pictures going to look like? You know, and we, <laughs> you know, just send them my parents in, you know, suburban Japan. Right. Oh, like, oh, oh, you know, we have this reaction at first. Only to realize that my wife had never heard this incredible, like, uh, this incredible uh, bit of advice that we sometimes have ourselves here, which is don't take the bait. Right. So she, she'd never heard that. You know, this is very recently. This is as recently as yesterday. Like, my wife is like, Mark, I never knew that. I never heard this. Don't take the bait. I can't believe I'd never heard that. It is so effective yeah. you know and that's the same recommendation for all of us who deal with this woman who's at the pto meeting the person who's walking down the street the person who's barreling onto the subway before we get off yep it's all they're all so tempting that bait is so oh my god it's delicious right the bait i'm gonna join you and i'm gonna be entitled to treat you poorly because you started it well you didn't just right. start it you invited no me. it's like the, the greatest penalty in hockey to me is instigating <laughs> these right. guys are instigators That's like right. they come That's in right. like like who goes to a 10 o'clock meeting when it's 100 degrees out dripping with jewels and making yeah, right. like That's right. totally instigating it's like yep. you know, the referee's yep. back might be turned <laughs> but i just gave you a shot told you your mother's ugly and right. like, you hit me and i pretend that you know, you drew them offside. You drew them, you know, whatever that's the right. thing is, you know, like, yeah, that's, that's right. why I love the, when you raise two boys as a single mom, I throw <laughs> stuff in the living room all the time, like instigating. <laughs> because whether it's overt or covert, it's the same thing. And that's everybody's right. got to recognize that these dicks or bitches, usually they want the attention and even negative attention is better than no attention. Right. Well, because again, if you really, when I really get into the process and I really try to delve underneath it, I start to find that these people are motivated by insecurity and these people have such a hard time accepting themselves. And the bigger the dick, the bigger the insecurity that it was built around. 
You know, it is really a way of being compassionate. It's hard to be compassionate to that woman in the, you know, in the PT, we call it PTA here, the PTA meeting. It's really hard to be compassionate to these people, especially when they're physically harming us, which sometimes happens, right? But underneath it, every single time I find this hurting, anxious, insecure person who at some point in their life was so devastated that their dickery or their bitchiness or whatever that is, if looked at from a particular angle, is like an SOS. It is like this, help me, help me, I'm drowning and I'm drowning and I'm making it worse everywhere I go. The more I try these maneuvers, the worse it gets. So I'm really offering you know, people this, this really compassionate look in the mirror and it starts with pause. It starts with, ooh, just take a breath, you know. I'm not asking anybody to be inhuman or be above human. I'm just saying, like, if we have a breath, if we have a pause between thought and action, every single time that something feels like it's or is actually provoking us, we at least have a shot to not join that behavior. Right, and not or respond or react or, yeah, because if you look look at this person, you just go, wow, you must really not like yourself. It's almost like there's like the flip sides of the coin. You have the people that come into these meetings like a train wreck, road hard, put away wet. They're like you know, barely sober showing up for the meeting. Yeah, and then yeah. you have the flip side that are like over perfect. Uh-huh. And, you know, each one of those comes with this whole thing of like, wow, do you really not like yourself so much that you had to put all this effort into like a you know, a PTA meeting or a PTO meeting or, you know, do you barely could show up? Thank you for showing up next time. Could you be sober? That would be good. You know, (laughs) 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 you know, the the funny thing with all this is I think it works both ways. I think a lot of times we have a family member who is a dick. You know, I had an ex-husband like that. I, you know, he caused so much trouble to so many people, but the person that I knew was really insecure, was really, you know, nerdy and felt bad about himself. I'm like, why do you have to go out and prove something at pickup hockey or pickup baseball? Like, really? You got in a fight with an umpire? You threw the bat? You threw your hat? You're a 50-year-old man. Get over it. This isn't isn't the World Series. You're not playing for the Yankees. But- You know, they do these things, and I think your book is so important because, yes, it's written from the perspective of change yourself, change your world, but it also opens up the eyes like, I would read this book because I was married to a dick. Right. You know, and I want to know, you know, so if you look at these things and you look at the deconstruction that you have in here, or if your kid's a dick. Yeah. And, you you know, because like our kids, we hope that they grow up to be great people, but some of them, especially if they're middle school or high school, they can be really jerky. (laughs) They come home with their head, half shaved, eyebrow, you know, punk rock t-shirts. and Yep, look at me, look at me. But you can read this book and get some insight into how to help them. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And I I think that that one of the wonderful things that, that, that I discover over and over again is that no matter what somebody else's behavior is, I'm not going to help that behavior by joining them in that behavior. That's the hardest thing, right? When it really comes right down to it, I suggest for the dick, him or herself, or any one of us when we slip into that, I suggest inventory. I suggest that we do this cost-benefits analysis. I suggest that when we look at ourselves, I also strongly suggest, because it's so driven by insecurity and anxiety, I suggest that when we look at our dickish behavior and when we look at our overall pattern of relationships with people in the world, I suggest that we also look at our assets. 
that we look at our resources, that we're not just coming at ourselves with a critical view. We're also saying, look, self, I may have acted like this. I may have caused these troubles. I may have gone after the empire, umpire and done all these terrible things. But there's got to be some resources inside me that I can also use. I'm not just saying, like, kick the bad habit of being a jerk. I'm saying I'm only going to kick that habit when I realize that I have really wonderful things to offer, too. That I can become vulnerable in certain places where it's safe to do so. I can stop acting out, and I can start what I think is the real solution for, for being a jerk is accepting ourselves. Right. We first accept, like you said, I mean, you said it really kind. You were very kind at the beginning of this, um, uh, this episode. You said, you said, hey, Dr. Mark, you're human. Like, yeah, <laughs> thank you. That's it. If I can accept my humanity right. and I can see myself when I act in badly, I can look at that and I can see that that's an opportunity for repair. I sure. can see that that's an opportunity to be compassionate. If I'm compassionate to me, likely I can be compassionate to you. Sure. Sure. It's like, like the phrase in our household that I use at least once a week with two teenage kids is, Hey, everybody has a right to have a bad day. Uh, yeah. You know, you yeah. know like, cause it's really hard. I think, you know, we live in that Instagram, Facebook selfie mm. society. And, you know, when you look at the, the college scam out here, you know, of all the celebrities and the rich people paying for their kids privilege to go to these schools unearned, you know, all of that comes down to this thing that, you know, we're not okay. You know, you as a kid, if you don't get into this fancy school and I'm a successful actress, you're not okay. So I have to lie, cheat and steal to make it okay. And I think as we become more digital and everything can be photoshopped and filtered, you know, I had a client recently who put a picture of himself up on Facebook. He looks 22. Now I know between you and me, the guy's over 50. Yeah, but he yeah. used this filter, slimmed himself down, you know, it looked like an entirely different person, Yeah, yeah. but he was buying it into his own image. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that is really hard because we're not okay with the mistakes we make. We're not okay because we don't look this way or act this way or have this degree or have this whatever. Yeah. And I think that's where don't be a dick opens up some great conversations for schools, for families, for teachers, because at the core of a dick is a person who's not okay with himself that's, that's, that's or so herself. Amazing. It's so amazing you said that because honestly, like a huge part of the book is you know this whole idea of self-acceptance it is about accept it i find a lot of people in that kind of situation what happens is they're not okay even with being okay like in, it's almost as if being okay is a threat because if i'm okay that i'm not going to strive and i'm not going to struggle and i'm not going to get ahead and i'm not going to beat my neighbor and i'm not going to you know all this competitive stuff that like means that i have to blow right through a possible feeling of being okay it's almost like being okay is a threat it, well, I think it goes even more than that. And I'm going to, I'm going to liken it to my, you know, like I do a lot of work with the military, my Marine Corps buddies come back from combat and they're okay. And right. they vacillate between feeling guilty. They want to be back with their buddies and they miss the adrenaline rush. They will tell you the first thing they miss coming home is it's boring. Yep. They miss that adrenaline rush. Well, I will, I charge you to, you know, study this because it's your area of expertise. I think dicks also get off on that adrenaline rush that you get with that combat, with that, I'm ready to fight. I'm ready to oh, yeah. go. Oh, they, yeah. they never yeah. feel more alive 
more in control, more powerful. And it, you're right. That being okay is not okay. And you don't have that adrenaline rush. You don't have that drug. You don't have that high. Yeah. That's a great example. I mean, I didn't tell you the first time there was no real reason to it. I actually, I was in the military. I was in the 101st airborne. I was a paratrooper. I went overseas Mm -hmm. to the uh, uh, multinational force and observers, which was a peacekeeping force between Egypt and Israel in the eighties. And, you know, and, 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 and there was this sense there of, you know, that you had to be part of this. You had to be at hazardous duty pay. You had to be going for it. You had to be, you know, somehow or other. And so the idea, interestingly, I think of what this all covers up is it's not, it's very hard to find a way to be vulnerable. It's very hard to recover from wounds and trauma. And a lot of the things that's going, that that go on in the military regularly, that they really need to be able to be vulnerable in order to access real care and love and support. There's not a lot of love among the guys. We love each other. We we're brothers in arms and all of this, but to, to, to then recover and find a way to come back to civilian life becomes an incredibly difficult challenge. Right. And I think a lot of them, a lot of them choose to be a dick. A lot of them choose because it's also protective armor. You know, if you, if you use that, that kind of dick armor on you and it's, it's true for ladies and gentlemen, it's not just, you know, Marines, you know, Marines are my favorite, but you know, that whole thing is also a protective shield around that soft center because in order to heal, in order to, to overcome, in order to sit with grief or deal with grief, all those things, you got to be able to go to that vulnerable place. And you really don't have to, if you move through the world, being a dick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's really tough. I think when your role, you know, when you've been slotted into a role that requires you to turn it off, you know, to turn off your emotion, to put on that armor, to take off, to take care of other people, to survive. It it, it really puts you in a, a whole other category of, you know, not, not, I wouldn't necessarily say dick, but, but inaccessible. And therefore perhaps when threatened with vulnerability, those kind of defensive reactions might come up just to protect yourself from ever having to face, you know, uh, that, that terrible, scary, terribly scary place. Right. Well, and you know, people do, I'm a big proponent of thinking that people do what, what works for them. Mm-hmm. And I think the people that will pick up your book are people who are finding being a dick isn't working for them anymore. Right. You know, there are times, you know, you lose your marriage, maybe don't be a dick. You know, your kid doesn't speak to you. Maybe don't be a dick. They got fired for the fifth time. Hey, guess what? Don't be a dick. Like, you know, you can look at the wreckage that comes from this behavior. And don't you think, Dr. Mark, that prior to picking up this book, at some point it was working for them? Oh, I think that's absolutely, absolutely true. In fact, so many of the questions I get asked are about, well, what do you do when you let that go? What do you do when you drop your guard? What do you do? Like, what do you do if your whole tactic in your marriage is to protect yourself against someone else who isn't being nice to you? You know, I, I see a lot of couples now, especially because of those first two books. Now I'm getting consultation after consultation and I have all these couples. They're like, oh, great. Like you're talking about intimacy and empathy and emotional investment and being vulnerable. What the hell are you talking about, Mark? I mean, what you know what happens if I drop my guard? My partner sitting on the other side of the room comes and pounces on me emotionally. So you're absolutely right. I mean, first, you really have to kind of create a safe environment for yourself to let 
that behavior go because you're absolutely right. It is survival. I don't think anybody becomes at least one of these chronic dicks that I'm talking about. I don't think anybody gets to that place without having a really rough environment to kind of mold and shape them into this really isolated, distant place. I mean, I think that our natural state as human beings is to be in community. It is to be connected to each other. I mean, it's what we're born into, how we develop psychologically, emotionally, and physically is in interaction with an environment that is people. Well, sure, the baby, an infant only thrives if it's at, you know, you can put a baby on anybody's skin and, you know, the skin therapy helps it thrive. That's right. It's our natural state. Right. I mean, it's from the get-go. But I do think that they have to, in order for your book to be successful for someone, they have to have a different set of tools and a different set of rewards. Yes. That's right. And, and I think you're absolutely right. And I also think it helps, given what you just said. I mean, those are very dramatic kinds of examples, but divorce or losing a job or having a child who won't talk to us. I mean, those are extremely dramatic examples. And in my book, they are also examples of what I call a bottom. You bottom out. Right. You can't dig any further. You can put the shovel down and stop digging and then you can actually use this book as a mirror to help you stop treating other people so poorly and believing that the counterattacks that people are perpetrating upon you are unprovoked attacks which is not true the dick right. is the person who in situation after situation after situation feels that he or she is being attacked when they're not being attacked they're either being counterattacked or people are protecting themselves against a chronic dick. Like you said, you're going to divorce the guy who punches the umpire eventually because he's going to do a lot of dastardly stuff to you too. He's going to. He has to because he He feels threatened. He feels threatened. And what do dicks do when they're threatened? They attack. They lash out. Well, and you explained too one of the interesting phenomena and, you know, you have kids and they've went through middle school and, you know, bullying. Mm-hmm. And there was this phenomenon that I just couldn't get my mind around. And you just clarified it because you have like a dick in training. You have a fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade bully. Yeah. And the bully does things and cries when the reaction comes to him. That's right. And the mother and father step in and they say, your child's bullying my child, your child. You know, I saw it with this one kid in our school district. This kid was a terror, you know? And when the kids would react, he'd run to his mother. His mother would come in and raise all sorts of hell because he was creating these reactions. And and in my case, my kid had his backpack and we carry a lot of water here in the desert because it's cold. He took Mm -hmm. a big 20 ounce gallon of water and poured it in his backpack, ruined all his books, his homework Uh and everything like that. Yeah. So what does my kid do? He picks up the backpack and smacks the kid, you know, yeah, right. like, Hey, what do you do that? So there's this big thing of like, well, who's at fault? You know, my kid hit him with a backpack. And of course it's the big kid, you know, what if yeah, this guy's right. kid never failed? Five, dog. <laughs> and then yeah. thankfully there was another supervisor or a chaperone on the bus. Cause it was a, you know, like a, a field trip. She said, no, he poured water in his book pack. And then when the school saw all the books were ruined and all this stuff, No, it wasn't right for my kid to slug him with the backpack, but it was an instigating. 
And then when the mother came to me, because she's like, well, you have to understand, you know, my son is being bullied. My son, I actually lost it. I was not on school grounds. I stepped off the sidewalk, so I was on a public place. And I'm like, lady, you're nuts. I said, every time you cover up for him, every time you do these things, you are letting his behaviors create the bullying. That's right. You've got to stop it. It starts right. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you the examples I give over and over again are you can stop the dickery, you can stop the bullying when you, when you hold the person accountable for his or her behavior. When yep. you hold up that mirror and you say, look, this is what you're doing. I don't care who it is that entitled you or authorized you to be clomping through the world or modeled it for you. No matter what, it is a sentence to isolation. You're sentencing yourself to social exclusion and isolation. You know, they had this funny, they had this funny re-envisioning of the old caveman days. You know, like, oh yeah, you know, the alpha male was the one who donked all the other males and took the females. And at some point, some evolutionary psychologist said, are you kidding? You've got to, you know, you don't, you don't put that person in the position of alpha male leader of the tribe. What you do is you get rid of that person right. because if you don't, if that person's ruling the, the tribe, the tribe won't survive because people won't learn how to work together. Right. The bully is isolated. The dick, the bitch, whoever that is, they are isolating themselves. They are, they are, they are actually sentencing, sentencing themselves to the most cruel human punishment, which is solitary confinement. All chronic dicks wind up in, in absolute social isolation. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what their position. They could be a head of a government. They could be, uh, you know, running a, uh, they could be, uh, you know, the, the captain of a military um, uh, unit. They could be, you know, the, the, the brigadier general. They, it doesn't matter because this isn't about actual simple social communion. It's about living in a very, very hostile head. Yes. Well, and, and I think it starts... Ooh. You know, these things start at a young age. They start, yeah. like, because I see it starting third, fourth, fifth grade. You know, you see these kids that are, are doing behaviors that ultimately isolate them. And then it, it kind of escalates and it yeah. keeps escalating. And Absolutely. you can see the kid that was kind of a little jerk, like in third grade, is now the, the, the troublemaker in the high school. That's right. That's exactly right. And it's, and again, I know there's an intimidation factor and a lot of times it's a big kid. Sometimes become, this person comes from a troubled family, but really like I'm asking, like sort of begging the people who love this person to come around and like say, we got to hold this person accountable, not because we're trying to shake a finger, but we're trying to intervene with a, 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 a real, like a, I think it's like a death sentence. Yeah. It's like a death sentence. I mean, think about going through life and not being able to connect to other human beings and maybe you're an attractive person and maybe you have some intelligence and maybe you have other things going for you. doesn't matter. You might get married. You might have a decent job. You might have all kinds of things. But if you sentence yourself to this kind of isolation, then you're, then you are lost. And, and, and you know, you're, you said it earlier and I think you're absolutely, there are certain positions that we can obtain in society that maybe being a dick is even looked at as a good thing. But there right. are people who talk about what they call false empowerment. Mm-hmm. The false empowerment is when, you know, we are empowered by the things we have or the jobs or the education, but not through our connection with other people. The only real empowerment happens when we're connected to each other. False empowerment is anything else that we use to prop ourselves up, including acting like a jerk or a tyrant or any of these other kinds of things. And it's false. And it really is a recipe for depression. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, it's depression. 
to be coffee. Yeah. Because the minute you the minute you enact some of these behaviors, because I think what happens is the people around you initially kind of feel sorry for you. They love you. They want to help you. Then they get tired of your bullshit. That's right. And then they're like, I'm done with you. I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. And, yeah. you know, and they keep pushing the external, like, I don't know, abuse, whatever word you want to call yeah, it. But, okay. Yes. You know, they're, they're going to keep pushing that and they keep escalating and escalating, escalating. Could get a reaction out of you because a reaction out of you is better than silence. Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely right. But still, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and what actually happens again, you just, you start to have to protect yourself. You have to protect yourself. You have to protect. And the funny thing, the saddest thing I think is the situations where people do protect themselves, but maybe they don't quit the job or they don't get the divorce or they don't, you know, they, they still have to be raised by that person. If the dick is a parent, you know, there are certain circumstances where you can't just leave the dick. You can't, you can't. there's lots of circumstances, you know, like you might have a career, you might have a, a job and you might rely on that job for your rent check every, you know, there's lots of people. There are even people in New York because it's so expensive and because apartments are prohibitively expensive. There are people who have to divorce and can't necessarily move out immediately. Right. Their apartment. Yeah, so here in LA too, we have people yeah. co coexisting. That's right. In house, they've they've they're emotionally divorced, but not financially divorced because right. they can't right. live. Yeah. But if you're a jerk, you're, you're, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're a jerk, you're living in that circumstance. You don't even have to be separated or divorced. And you're protecting yourself from that other person's behavior. Right. You're running away. You don't literally have to leave the person, although of course as a couple therapist, I would say please leave that person as soon as you can. Otherwise, you're just exposing yourself. There's really, you know, I've had patients that come in and ask me, they're like, Mark, um, I have an abusive boss. Um, can you give me a technique for handling an abusive boss? I'm like, yeah, here's the technique. Wait, Wait. <laughs> there's exactly no other technique because one of the interesting things that I, that I cover in the book, and I go into a lot of detail, is you do not want to build a tolerance for dickish behavior. Right. If you build a tolerance for a, an abusive boss or an abusive partner or abusive friend, if you build a tolerance for that, what you're really doing is you're, you're covering yourself, you're defending yourself psychologically from the awareness of being hurt, but not from actually being hurt. I can tell that's you right. somebody married to a jerk, yeah. your emotions and your feelings and your reactions are not like five faucets. Right. It's one faucet you turn down. So if you're going to dial down your feelings because of the jerk you married, <clears throat> you also dial down at the same time, the enjoyment you get from your kids, the enjoyment you get from your friends, like the human, it's like a dial. That's it's right. not a selective dial that says, Oh, Hey, you know what? Jerky husband, I'll dial that down, but I'll ramp up happy kids. Like, <laughs> right. It doesn't work that right. way. And right. you find yourself. And it, you know, the other thing that I think is, really honors the people that are in proximity to a dick that I don't think most people talk about is how tiring it is. Oh. It's exhausting. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. psychologically, yeah. Dissociation requires an immense amount of psychological, you know, effort. energy. Like it, right. So, I mean, to just, oh, I just dissociated. I turned it off. You know, I went to work today and my boss called me names. But, you know, it's okay. It's not okay. <laughs> it's not okay. It's not okay. We're still under the influence and we're still being affected by the terrible behavior. You know, I mean, we can be 
less than consciously aware of being hurt and being scared, but we cannot turn off the fact of being hurt and being scared. No, no. Now, do you think, you know, and this is, this gets into, you know, the big question that I have, the line, the line between personality disorder and being a dick, because, you know, they both cross over, but I look at some people that I know that have court diagnosed personality disorder. Yeah. Yeah. Married to one. Right. You know, because a narcissist, let's be honest, a narcissist is not going to pick up this book. He's not going to think he's the problem or she's the problem. I have a very good friend who wrote a book called uh, Traumatic Narcissism. You know, and and, and the the amazing thing about this book is he said that a lot of the people that we think of today as, you know, like the narcissistic personality disorder are, are, if they're in therapy, then they are not likely to be the narcissistic personalities where what he believed, and and it really is kind of, it it, it dovetails with my book, is he believes that a lot of the people we think of as narcissists today are actually people who are traumatized by being raised by narcissists. So he, right, so he believes in this thing, this idea, and I do too, of like a narcissistic environment, like a narcissist-inducing environment that you really like you look like a narcissist because you had to protect yourself from this cold distant unempathetic so you know so so one of the things about interesting things about personality disorders if you take a compassionate look at them is that they are based on the environment personality disorders unlike psychiatric that the other psychiatric diagnoses in the dsm-5 now they are basically environmental traumas they are the leftovers of being hurt when we were young so the dick mm, you know might be that person sometimes but that person you're right is going to be very hard to reach but i say not impossible not impossible. i am a shrink in new york city i've been practicing here i just rounded 23 years of practicing non-stop in new york city and i gotta tell you there are people who saw themselves as untreatable that when they really let their guard down and let themselves be loved and cared for, I believe any person who's capable of that can, can get through, not over, but can get through their awful you know, treatment of other people. Well, that's because they have a shred of empathy. They have a shred of something that's right. That's in right. there that's that, right. that says, you know, maybe, or I could, or I'm willing to try. Because, right. you know, from my experience, and again, it's just layman's experience, but... When you have someone that is so convinced that everyone else is at fault, you know, where is they're reaching that person? Right. But that person no, that, is never right. going to pick up your book. Right. The person so that's that, going right. to pick up your book is going to go, there is something that I'm doing that I'm not getting the results I want out of my life. You know, maybe I don't have enough intimacy. Maybe I don't have enough love. Maybe I don't have enough respect. Maybe I don't have, and people have called me a dick enough. Yeah. I don't think it's any surprise right. to people when they you see the cover of don't be a dick i laughed at it because i'm thinking wow you know nobody really calls me a dick but a lot of people call my ex-husband a dick like that was you know that could be like you know the baby's first word because it's dad you know it's it's not surprising i guess i was what i would say is the people that will pick up your your book and i also think it's really very very important work for the millennials and the digital generation coming up because I think a lot of their stuff is a dick move, but because technology makes it possible and it mitigates these things, like let's take the term ghosting. All right. Right. <laughs> ghosting total dick move. That's a dick move. You know, uh, we, 
Dating yeah. with someone, living one with for three years, which is one of my employees had this. The guy left. He texted her. Oh. He moved his stuff oh. out while she was at work here, working with me. Then sent her a text. It's over. I've moved on. I've met somebody else. Like, there's a dick move. God. Ooh. You know? Par excellence, yes. Right. But let's be fair and let's look at our system that we see. What do we see on television? We see yes. it all the time. Yeah. We have conversations, difficult ones, using a text. We, we can ghost someone. We like them this week. We don't like them next week. I'm going to ghost you. Like that's part of, you know, we didn't have really digital ghosting until we had the digital age. That's right. You know, you had people go AWOL, you had people leave, but I think it was harder. And now it's more acceptable to have all four family members on their phone at dinner. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because psychologists now are talking, you know, we can qualify a good from a bad guilt, right? A bad guilt is a guilt about some horrible thing that was out of your control. A good guilt is, hey, I shouldn't treat other people like that. Right. A good guilt says, I'm account, like, again, one of the main tools that I offer in this book, because every single chapter in this book has exercises. Everyone, like, I go for it. Like, this isn't, it's, you know, I wish I could tell you it's a funny book. It's got some, like, kind of humorous moments, but it's not a comic. I'm not a comic. I'm like, I'm a shrink, and I'm a shrink who works with a lot of people who need a lot of help, and so I'm really offering very practical, practical solutions to the problem of being a dick, and one of the things I really, really come back to over and over again is accountability. We need to be accountable for our behavior. We need to be accountable for how we affect other people, If and ghosting someone is the height of not accountable, and it's the height. You want to ghost somebody, guess what? Then you're a ghost. What is a ghost? A ghost is someone who's dead. A ghost is someone who's not present. A ghost is somebody who had their time and they gave it up. They gave up their place on earth. And interestingly, I think in ghost mythology, a ghost is also a person caught between worlds, right? right. A ghost is a person who can't, is still attached to this one and can't go to the next. So that's a really, again, it's a horrible thing to do to someone else. And it's, if you really think about it, it's a horrible thing to do to yourself. Right. Neither I ghosted myself. Jeez. You You ran away, you know, like you ran away. That's right. You could, even if you didn't want to be with the person, you couldn't have the the respect to tell that person why, what happened? What lesson did we learn here? What can we take from this relationship where we tried our best to care for each other? And for whatever reason, it didn't work out. That's not a crime. No, that's not a crime. That's not a sin. The crime is of course, giving up on it and then becoming immaterial, becoming non-accountable. And then all of a sudden I get away with that. What do I learn? I learned I don't have to be accountable to anyone else. And I think I got away with something. Yeah, you did. You got away with sentencing yourself to isolation ultimately. Right. Isolation is like I said, to me, isolation is exactly what, what the dick, where the dick winds up. That's where the dick goes. Isolation. So, you know, total self-sufficiency. I've cut myself off. Right, right. And when I think of these mothers, or this mother in particular, who really thinks she's protecting her son, you know, in the bullying example, yeah, she's really sentencing him to a life of isolation. That's right. That's exactly right. My daughter asked me, I mean, this is kind of like maybe a funny thing, but my daughter was talking to me yesterday. We were on our way to go see some movie. It's <laughs> Maleficent. And she said, um, she said, Daddy, like, what's the worst job you can have? And I said, I think, it, um, I think it's being a trust fund kid. 
She's like, what? Like, what do you mean that's the worst job? Are you kidding? I'm like, yeah, you don't struggle. You don't ever, you know, you don't ever actually have to find out who you are. Right. If you're totally being like entitled and whatever, and like you said about the people who are paying for their kids to go to college and pulling all this stuff, like anything that we do to take away the struggle from another human being, the struggle to find themselves, the struggle to find other people to love and care for and be cared for by, anytime we rip a person off of that, I feel like we are absolutely sentencing them to live on some other planet, you know? Well, and furthermore, I'd like to take that one step further because I do, I don't, I know a lot of trust fund kids. I wasn't a trust fund kid and I went to a university full of them. Yeah. You rob that kid of any ability for self-confidence. Yeah, that's right. Because there's already a safety net. There's already a money net. If you flunk out of college, if you get fired, the money's still there. There's nothing, you know, unless they want to maybe pursue sports or something like that or go into the military where they can build confidence. Yeah. You know, something where mom and dad's money can't bail them out. That's right. You know, like, I grew up on Babel Island. <laughs> like, you know, I grew up at Newburgh Beach, right? But I, I grew up with a bunch of surfer guys who went out mostly and like charge like you said being having money doesn't mean you're a trust fund person having money having love having care having support of your family doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to come out of your family and then say ah i already give up that that was sort of the point because i, I want to be careful too i mean i work in new york city i i have people in my practice who are supported by their family but they're here working they're here trying to achieve they're in the struggle you know and i think that to not be a dick is to join other people in the struggle. Right. And to be okay with making a mistake, to be okay with being okay. And also to come from a place where you actually have some forgiveness and compassion for other people. That's right. You yeah. know, and those are really big topics. Well, you know what? Our hour has flown by. Yeah. The book is called Don't Be a Dick, Change Yourself, Change Your World. Mark B. Borg. And you can find it on Amazon. It's available in audiobook. It's also available in paperback. So you want to get your copy. And honestly, I think it should be given to pretty much every teenage boy in existence. <laughs> I'm just going to say that raisin to All right, I'll leave you on that. Dr. Mark Borg, it's always a pleasure. So great to see you. So wonderful. Look, I hope you cool down out there. Lovely to see you. Love you to see you too. All right, we'll be back take again care. next week. All right, take care. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques on Coach.